All right, welcome to the latest episode of the Simple Ways to Have a Good Life podcast. My name is James, and I've spent close to 20 years now working with people in an intentional way to help them improve their lives and to overcome the obstacles that were holding them back. This podcast is really just where I take everything that I've learned in close to two decades and I share it with you on here. I try to make everything simple and actionable, and um, I want it all to be useful to you. So today's episode is all about how to find a good therapist. Uh, I'm a big advocate of everybody going to counseling. So this is this episode is just meant to give you a few things that you can look for in a counselor. Now this episode has been recorded all over the state of Texas. I uh, I left Lubbock, I think just like a day or two ago. I went from Lubbock down near Austin, Austin to out by near Longview, Longview back to Austin, and then later today we're going to be headed back to Lubbock. So if you hear some background noise, I apologize for that. Um, Some of it was at my grandma's, so you may hear TV preachers in the background. Uh, Right now I'm at my parents' house, and so you may hear some grandfather clocks in the background. I'll try to edit out if they actually start chiming. So I'll do my best to edit all that, but it's been, um, this has been an interesting episode and it reminds me of how lucky I am to get to travel the way that I've traveled. Um, Personally, I feel lucky to live in Texas. I love driving the back roads of this state with my kids in the car, just hanging out and having a good time. And then just to be able to record this podcast wherever I want. Like modern technology, it's amazing. It's amazing just to be able to do this from, you know, a few different locations, just, you know, with just my computer and a microphone. That's pretty cool. So let's jump into today's topic, which is how to find a good therapist. So as I mentioned, I'm I'm an advocate of anybody seeking out a good therapist, you know, getting themselves into counseling, having that objective person who can kind of with like with through training and experience and just being knowledgeable about what they do help you make decisions in your life. I think it's important here at the beginning to explain how I see the difference between counseling and coaching. And the way I really see that is that if you are trying to get from dysfunction to baseline, you need a counselor. If you want to go from baseline to thriving, get a coach. Now, and I know that some coaches might take issue with this. I might get some emails or some texts from people, but I, I, I think that a counselor can address everything from dysfunction to thriving. I don't think coaches need to be dealing with dysfunction. And it comes down, for me, it just comes down to a matter of education and training. Counselors go through four years for a bachelor's degree, then they get a master's degree. They do between three and 6,000 hours of supervised counseling. They're licensed by the state and they are required to pursue continuing education every year. There is a lot of accountability a lot of education, a lot of training, and and then they, and, you know, they have malpractice insurance. So I, I just think that when you, when you look at all that, counselors, therapists, whatever they're called in your state, they're pretty well-trained and they know what they're doing. Now, there are a lot of really well-trained coaches who know what they're doing. I have, um, I have, I have four or five life coaching certifications. I have a I'm a certified business coach and I'm a certified mindfulness and meditation instructor. But now the 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 difference in how much investment it took of my time and energy for each one of those is pretty pretty drastic. My certification as a mindfulness and meditation instructor took a year and a half. 
Uh, it was it was constant reading, constant work, talking to people on the phone, you know, doing doing um, you know collaborating with people on the phone, and wound up with like a, I think a ten day intensive in Sedona. It was a significant financial and time investment. Uh, I have uh, my business coaching that took some time and investment, and the one of my life coaching certifications was somewhere around sixty hours. So. Those are serious, but then you know I saw one one time that there was a coupon. I got it for I think nine ninety nine. In two and a half hours, I was able to get a life coaching certification. Now, I did it because I think that uh, there's always more information to learn. There's always you know even just a little short course you can pick up something you didn't know before. But you need to understand that there are people out there who that two hour course is all they've done. There are people out there who have no certification at all. The only thing you need to have to start calling yourself a life coach is the ability to say the words, I'm a life coach. There's no accountability. There's no oversight. And that, 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 that lets a lot of people in. It's a very low bar. And so you're going to get some low bar people in the coaching field. Now, I want to be clear. I know some coaches who are fantastic. I know some coaches who I think... Um, could probably address a wide range of things. I'd still encourage them to avoid the real dysfunctional stuff because they don't have the malpractice insurance and the licensure to protect them. But you just got to understand that when you're looking at life coaching, you need to be even more um, discerning and you need to have higher standards. That doesn't mean that all counselors are good. And as I've said a couple times now, just to avoid emails and texts, that doesn't mean all coaches are bad. There are great people in every field. There are, there are some pretty bad people in both fields. But just at, at the point of entry, a licensed professional counselor, or whatever they're called in your state, but a licensed mental health professional who has a master's degree in state licensure, there's a good degree of accountability there. And so the, the risk is lower. Let's put it that way. The risk is lower. But so personally, I think just... Uh, you know, dysfunction to baseline, that's counseling. Baseline to thriving, that's coaching. Now, the rest of this podcast is going to be about finding a counselor, not finding a coach. Uh, if there's enough interest, I'll do one on finding a coach. But, you know, right now, just with the, you know, post-pandemic world and people losing their jobs and inflation and just the the way everything seems to be flying off the rails, I, I think counseling is what people are looking for now. I can't find counselors to refer people to because everybody's full. So, um, I think we'll focus on counseling right now because that seems to be the more acute need. Now, I want to be clear about one more thing. Everything I'm talking about in this, in this podcast like, are things that humans do. Counselors are humans. They make mistakes. They have to learn. They have to grow. They have to evolve in their profession. Uh, they change and they grow over time. So apart from things like um, you know, them not maintaining your confidentiality, uh, them trying to initiate an inappropriate relationship with you or having inappropriate relationships with their other clients, you know, th- th- those are deal breakers right from the get-go. Those are deal breakers. Everything else that we're talking about today are things that just humans do. They're things that humans, um, they're just human mistakes. They would become deal breakers if they're chronic or habitual. If this is how this person just does business, then yes, any one of these things can be a deal breaker if it's day in, day out. But I really want to be clear that none of this is meant to say like, oh my gosh, if your client, if your counselor one time is late, fire them. I'm not saying that. The other thing that's important for me to say here is that a lot of this list, uh, I pulled from things I've had to learn over the years. A lot of this list is based on things where I had to grow and evolve as a counselor. So I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I'm even better than anybody else. These are just the things I've learned 
that that are good to have in a counselor from working with people for years and for the last few years, uh, primarily referring people to other counselors just because it's not really the work I do anymore. The first one is kind of amorphous because it, it's it's hard to nail this down, but studies and in my own work and everybody I talk to shows that the relationship is probably the most important thing for therapeutic change. You have to like the person that you're sitting across from. You have to trust them. You have to have a rapport with them. You have to you have to resonate with them. And this one's difficult because I'll have people come to me a lot and say, well, you know, I just didn't really click with them. I didn't like them. And they feel guilty for, for finding a new counselor when the only, and I'm doing air quotes around, only problem was that they didn't like the person. The relationship is everything in counseling. It's the first thing I address with people. When I sit down with a new client, I tell them, hey, you're deciding if you want to work with me. I can read all the books. I can have all the degrees. But if you don't like me, if you don't trust me, this doesn't work. So relationship is very important. Always have that awareness in your mind that that you're forming a very deep and intentional and purposeful relationship with this person. You have to like them. You have to trust them. You have to resonate with them or it's not going to work. This relationship is really important because you are giving them a lot of authority in your life. You are giving this person what I call editing privileges. You know, so a picture like, um, I don't know, J.K. Rowling. She's, she writes these books about wizards and um, magic and all that. If she went to her editor and there was a part where they're building a robot to clean their room for them, the editor would be smart to say, oh, why don't they just use magic? the editor would point out to her that, hey, there's this there's this inconsistency here. You have this overall story you want to build about wizards and things like that, yet now you're, you're bringing in technology. That is the role that I believe counselors play in people's lives. You come to us and you say, this is, this is where I'm at. This is where I want to go. Help me get there. And it's our job to suggest edits. It's our job to say, okay, cool. So you want to go from Texas to Seattle. Maybe you don't have to go through Boston. Uh, it's not our job to say, ew, why would you want to go to Seattle? Why would you want to leave Texas? Wouldn't you rather go to Florida instead? It's our job to offer helpful edits to help you get where you want to go, not to impose where we think you should go or how we think you should get there. Now, if J.K. Rowling goes and she has the first Harry Potter written in the person and the editor says, well, you know, I think we should, uh, I don't really want to read this. I think we need, I need you to write a book about, um, let's write romance novels. Go home and write a romance novel. That's not what the editor's for. That's not what the editor's for. Now, the editor might be able to say like, hey, I think that you could be really good at romance novels. But if Rowling says, no, nah, I'm not about that. Cool. That's our job as counselors. Now, along the, this has happened multiple times to me where along the course of the conversation the person wanted to have, I noticed something else pop up and I would say to them, Hey, you, I know you came in to address this and we've done a good job of that. This is something else I've noticed and I'd be happy to work with you on that as well. And then it's up to them. That relationship is so important because you've got to be able to have those conversations. So you're really looking for somebody that you can trust in giving editing privileges to in your life. Now, this relationship is also very important because counseling needs to be confrontational at times. It needs to be constructively confrontational where the counselor feels they have the freedom to say, hey, I've seen this thing that you keep bringing up. This seems to be causing you trouble. I think we need to address it. Um, and the client needs to be able to say, okay, you know, I, I trust you. We've built this trust over time and I'm willing to invest that with you. But this judgment 
this use of judgment has to come without condemnation. You know, I think we're kind of all down on judgment in general, but we all use judgment every day. Every time you come to a four-way stop, you're exercising judgment about whose turn it is to go. When you're shopping on a budget, you're using judgment. When you are deciding if you want to be friends with somebody, you're using judgment. We need to use judgment. That's what our mind is for. But when it becomes judgment with condemnation, that's problematic, and it's especially problematic in a counseling relationship. So you need to be able to trust that your counselor Uh, has enough respect for your belief system and your lifestyle and who you are to to confront you when it's necessary, but to do so without condemnation. And that's really important. Uh, It's important enough that I question the ability of a counselor to work with somebody from a group that they inherently have a problem with. Uh, I, I think that that counselor needs to refer them out. But, but really just remember you're building this relationship with this person and you need to trust that they have your best interest at heart, that they that you have to trust their judgment, and you need to be able to see that that judgment is present without condemnation. Okay, and the next one is really, really important. You've got to find a counselor who is compassionate and competent. Those two things do not always go hand in hand. I think that's been one of the more like difficult things for me to see and accept over the years. I know some very competent professionals who do not have compassion and they end up being this almost like hovering godlike presence that that they kind of end up wounding people because their the empathy's not there it doesn't feel like the love is there i know a lot of people who are very compassionate and care about the people they work with very much but they're not competent and so they end up doing just as much harm i think if i had to choose between the two I would choose the competent person without the compassion over the compassionate person without competence because a well-intentioned, um, I want to say a well-intentioned idiot, but that's, uh, that's, that's not the, that's not the angle I want to take here, but a well-intentioned, but incompetent person does a tremendous amount of damage. So you want to make sure compassion and competence, they both need to be there. It's like a bird with one wing without that you're going to crash into the ground eventually. When we're talking about competence, you want to make sure that whoever you are seeing, whoever you are entrusting yourself to, is adept at utilizing the interventions that they that they, that they they focus on. You want to make sure that they have more than just a surface level knowledge of it. You know, the example that comes to mind immediately for me is mindfulness. You know, mindfulness has been a bit of a craze for about 10 years now. It seems to be dying off, thank goodness. But the thing was that the thing is, is that with this as a craze, you got a whole bunch of very surface level ways of addressing mindfulness. Oh, well, just just take your time and focus on on the present while you're brushing your teeth. And cool, no problem with that. Uh, that can improve a person's life, maybe to be more present. The thing is, is that when you start really teaching this and you start really moving into this in a deep way, there are questions and things that come up that if the person who's leading you hasn't already been there, they're going to get you in trouble. It's like having a guide who's never been on the trail where they're taking you. Like, yeah, you could very much wind up in trouble when in a situation like that. You know, mindfulness starts bringing up questions about who we really are, about, you know, the role of our thoughts, the role of our emotions. You know, what does it mean when I say I? Somebody who has not walked that path ahead of you could really make a mess of things for you. And this applies to many interventions. So I think that, you know, if, if there is a modality or a theory of therapy that you want to engage, Just make sure that the person that you're doing that with, 
that it's more than just a, that they that they did more than just read a blog or a book. Like there are there are levels to every practice. And if you're going to give your time and energy to somebody, you want to make sure that they are addressing these things at the deepest level possible. You know, I guess what we're really talking about there is scope of practice. There are so many theories of therapy and different types of interventions and different modalities. And like, I get it. They're all interesting and they all are kind of attractive. But when we are using an intervention or a theory that we are not trained in, we are beyond our scope of practice. It's the same as like a counselor giving you legal advice or medical advice. Like we shouldn't be doing that. That's not what we're trained in. That's beyond our scope of practice. And that applies to how adeptly we can use the things we are trained in, depending on how much training we've done and how much of our own personal investment we've put into those things. You know, the scope of practice is so important to me. Uh, I moved into coaching intentionally because I wanted to limit my scope of practice. I recognize that I am better at helping people get from baseline to thriving than I am from dysfunction to baseline. So I consciously chose that and I consciously limited what I say yes to at this point. There are a lot of things I say no to because it is beyond my current scope of practice. Exceeding your scope of practice is one of the quickest ways to get yourself in trouble. As a client, if you have a counselor who's exceeding their scope of practice, they're going to get you in trouble too if you're listening to them. So just be mindful of that. That's an ethical issue and um, it's an important one. That's an important one. I think then there's just issues of professionalism. You need a counselor who's going to be on time, who is going to show up when you have an appointment, who takes notes well enough that they, they're able to keep up with what's going on. You want this person to know you. They need to be aware of your situation. They need to be aware of who you are in your situation. And they need to make sure that counseling is about you and that it doesn't ever become about them. Now, once again, this is probably where it's most acute that these are things that everybody does. I've been I've been late to sessions before for one reason or another, oftentimes because the session before ran over because uh, you know they 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 did what we call bomb rolling, and f- with five minutes left, they they brought up something really heavy, you know. Um, or I've been I think I think over the past I think over the past ten years of doing this in private practice, I think there's been three times that I've no showed because I put it wrong on my calendar. This these things happen. These things happen. They should not happen more than once to you with the same counselor. Um, and if the counselor does these things, they need to make it right. Personally, if I know showing somebody, their next visit's free because I wasted their time. They came up there for that session, um, so I discount it. Um, if I if I if I was late to a meeting, I'm going to discount that. To me, that's just basic business and integrity. But more than anything else, you just need to make sure these things are not happening over and over. If they consistently don't remember who you are and what y'all are talking about, I think that's a problem as well. So just be on the lookout for those things. Remember that we're all human. Counselors are human. But there does need to be a level of professionalism in how they treat you. And then the last thing, this one is one where I might get some emails or people might disagree. And that's cool. That's cool. Um, But personally, I believe that as therapists, as counselors, who we are and what we do, I believe that's inseparable. I do not believe that you can be a shady, unskillful human being and still do a good job as a therapist. 
I think eventually that unhealthiness is going to seep into your therapeutic relationships, and I believe you're going to do harm to people. I think that a counselor who has a serious drinking problem needs to address that. A counselor with any kind of addiction, that needs to be addressed. It's, it's, it's you know, if, if I'm at United, um, that's the grocery store, and the kid who carries my groceries out, if I find out later that, I don't know, he's, he's using meth, um, that's unfortunate and that's sad. Um, it probably will cost him his job, but that's not the next time I'm there and he's going to carry my groceries. I'm not going to be like, no, I don't want this dude doing it. If your counselor's using meth, that is going to bring trouble to your door eventually. So I, I know that some people, dis- I've had people disagree with me about this. I believe as counselors, who we are and what we do is inseparable and we need to have our shit together. If we don't, that ends up landing on our clients. You know, for me, uh, for personally, I mean, this is something I addressed. A few years ago, I got really close to burned out, had um, some very traumatic things happen, and I recognized, okay, this has changed who I am. This has changed what I'm capable of addressing. And so I changed the kind of things that I address. I believe this can be expected of all of us in this field. And so, it is, and I think it goes back to relationship too. If you recognize that there's incongruity in your counselor, if you recognize that they are not cohesive in who they say they are, it's going to start to chip away at your trust in them. So personally, I think we need to practice what we preach. Now, a lot of this episode came from stories people have shared with me about their experience in counseling. If there's something I missed, if there's something that you could offer that would be helpful, I don't mind doing a second part of this. This is one that a lot of people have requested. So I don't mind doing another one. But tell me about your experience with counseling. Tell me your good experiences. Tell me your not so good experiences. Um, Tell me what you think the counseling profession needs to do better. And, uh, you know, if there's enough there, I'll do another episode on it. If there's interest, I'll do an episode on coaching, um, what to look for in a coach. Just, you know, I think a lot of it would probably be similar. But I do, like I said, with coaching, I think you have to be more discerning because there is such a capacity for any person to just say, oh, I'm a life coach now. So if if there's interest in that, let let me know. And I'll be glad to put that together. I think the next few episodes, we're going to do the deep dive into the 10 things that really changed my life or 10 things, 10 actually simple things. You know, my, my apology episode for getting too weird with the stuff I talk about. Uh, And I think we're going to start with cold showers because I have gotten so many messages about that. It seems like something that people are interested in, but also kind of hate. And so, so we'll see. Like I said, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a diehard believer in anything, but I really like cold showers. I look forward to them and I, they're, they're one of my first things that I think of doing when I'm not feeling well, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever. My first thought is, ah, cold shower. So that'll probably be the next episode. If you need a counselor, if you are struggling, please don't hesitate to do that. There are, there are so many agencies out there that have a sliding scale. There are so many counselors who work hard to keep themselves affordable. Uh, Psychology Today is a great resource. BetterHelp is a great resource. If your town has like a 211 line, they may be able to direct you towards community resources, but take your mental health seriously. If you're struggling, please reach out for help. You are so valuable you, you, and you matter so much. You are the only instance of you that ever has or ever will exist 
And that makes you sacred. You are a sacred happening. Please do what you need to do to take care of yourself. You know, I, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. I'll be glad to try to give you resources where you live. But I just, I don't, I, you know, I know West Texas and that's about it. That's where I've got contact. So if you're in West Texas, definitely reach out to me and I'll be glad to give you some names. Outside of that, um, like I said, Psychology Today, BetterHelp, or whatever whatever those things are in your country, because I do know there are a lot of people outside the country who listen to this. And that's been hard because I've had people reach out to me on Instagram, and I just I don't know what kind of local resources there are in other countries. But somebody will. Somebody will. Don't, don't let not knowing how stop you from trying. You matter. Please take care of yourself. As always, I'm so grateful that anybody takes the time to listen to this. I'm so grateful for the feedback I get. That's what keeps me going is the feedback from people telling me this is helpful. If there would be a topic that would be helpful to you, please let me know. Just You can email me. It's james at James Scott Henson. That's the best way to get a hold of me these days. I will look forward to talking to you next time. Take care. <laughs>